guy on the block. Uh, my name is Wayne, and I've been pastoring for 22 years, recently retired. My uh, son-in-law and daughter, uh, Sheila and Brian, Brian and Sheila Batty, and my three of my grandchildren, Carson, uh, <laughs> Jenna, and Kaylin, have been fellowshipping in this church for some time. But I'm the new guy on the block. And today we're looking at Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is a messianic prophecy, meaning this message was delivered to the Jews particularly, but is also for our application as the gospel came to the Jews first and then also to the Gentiles. And the psalm opens with a question, a question from God himself. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot a vain thing. Now, God knows what people are plotting. He knows what they're doing. Is the, the, the question is redundant. It doesn't need an answer. God is about to give us an answer. But for all that he's done and all that he's provided, he asks this question, why? Because if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the same chapter in which the fall took place, you will see um, there the first prophecy given of a savior to be provided. And so God begins to ask this question, and rightly so, why do the nations rage? And verse two, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Well, what's he talking about? Well, in this time now when nations are getting together more than ever, he's talking about Armageddon. So this prophecy goes all the way from Genesis right to the very end to his second coming. So very, uh, much for the children of Israel who have been his witness in the world through all of that. They've succeeded, they've failed, and they've been, and he's been there in the midst of it all, sort of like our lives as believers. So against the, against the Lord and against his anointed, well, that's all of us, Jews and Gentiles, believers, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. People don't like it when God tells them what to do. This takes me back to the book of Judges, chapter 17, verse six, where it says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in the land at that time. There was God who they should have been paying attention to and then they would have had unity, but no, they were doing their own thing. And so when I think of that, it makes me think that man, since the fall, has been at war with God for sovereignty. And the whole thing is coming to a, coming to a head when, when the king returns. So in verse 4, we have this interesting verse. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Not laughing at the person, but laughing at their plans. They're, they're plotting in vain, seriously because they've gathered together thinking they can prevent the second coming of Christ. And if they can do that, then they won't have to move over, make room for God. We don't make room for God. God should be preeminent in our lives, not just prominent, and then he can rule as our Lord. The Lord shall hold them in derision, this scornful laughter like, the only other way I could put that is, seriously, you're gonna challenge me? Okay, give it your best shot. Because at this point, he's about to express his wrath. Give it your best shot because I've had enough. <laughs> I, I think that whenever we play games with God, we lose. Whenever we go to war with God, 
we are destroyed. So the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then, then he shall speak to them in his wrath. Enough. Going through life and the things that go wrong, sometimes we think that God is expressing our wrath. He's not. He is trying to get our attention, to pay attention to him, to have relationship with him. That's not about wrath. That's not about judgment. That's about chastising how we think. But we don't like to be taught. If we don't know God, we resent that, truly. And so he's expressing his wrath and distress them in deep, deep, deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill. Let's just take a look at John chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. John chapter 3, 16 to 19. You know these verses well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See the, the resistance people are having? And this is the condemnation. This is what makes sense of the whole thing. This is the reason the nations are doing what they do. This is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. So there we have the reason the nations are doing this. So it seems to me that we can't stop the will of God. The worst that we can do is simply leave ourselves out of it. And that would be to our own demise. And when you rise up against God, insist that he does things your way, we're leaving him out of it. So he says here in verse 7, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, that's a capital M, so we're talking divine. You, again, capital Y, you are my son, capital S. He's talking about Jesus. God is actually talking to himself, if you will. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. That's how Armageddon is going to go down. To, tra to challenge God only leaves a person uh, in ruin. So now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Here's a warning for the, the kings that, that have read this psalm. It's not the end yet. Time is going on. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, you who are rulers. Pay attention. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Interesting verse to end on, verse 12. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those, all those, who put their trust in him. So there's a warning. There again is God's faithfulness through all of this. He's always faithful. In Luke chapter 7, verses 37 to 38, we'll have a look at that to see what it means to kiss the Son. It's a sign of accepting the Son on his terms, not simply on ours, if it's convenient, if we've got time, if we agree. No, on his terms. Preeminence. Preeminence. Luke chapter 7, verses 37 to 38. 
And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Humility. Genuine, honest, from the heart, humility. You can't have a working relationship with God without it. Thank you.